Welcome, friends. Today is a special episode of Texas Wine and True Crime. Whether you are listening for the first time or you've been around since the beginning, you know that we created this platform to give victims a voice. Whether we tell the story or we have someone close to the victim tell their story, it's our responsibility as human beings to fight for justice where justice should be served. John Palmer, thank you for being here with us today. I Thank you so much for ha- having me. Thank I, you. I, I, I hate, like I told you before we started, that it has to be on these circumstances, but I'm, I'm glad you said yes. I'm glad you're here talking to us today because I have now become very passionate about serving justice for Katie. And, um, you know, we, we, we're always asked to cover stories in different cases in Texas. And when we get to really dive in, when we see police reports, when we see videos, when we see things that you can't lie about, right? Video doesn't lie. Things that are that we see and that we hear come out of people's mouths and the things that, that happen. Um, there's just no hiding those things. Um, we're here to talk about your wife, Katie Palmer. For, first and foremost, we are so sorry for you and your family's loss, um, senseless loss, may I, may I add. Um, and I did tell you today that, John, my goal is to bring light to Katie's case for those either hearing about it for the very first time today or for those that are actually following um, this case. I've read over the police reports. I've watched the videos. And I just want to say that I'm sorry for the disrespect that was shown to you that was shown to your wife, Katie, that was shown to your entire family on these videos. And as someone who is not an officer of the law, I'm just a normal average citizen. I found it absolutely appalling that the assailant and his feelings were more considered than the condition of you and your wife's well-being that day. I agree with everything that, that you said. And um, first and foremost, uh, thank you for opening up your, your platform. Um, you know, again, we've, we've been fighting for justice, uh, for Katie and for accountability, accountability for, uh, Corey Foster and what he did back in uh, April of 2020 and accountability for what, uh, Texas DPS did and didn't do that day. And for what our district attorney, Brett Smith has not done. And that has bring justice for Katie Palmer. Yes, sir. And, um, I, uh, I, I'm sure once we're done with this and our listeners get to read more about Katie's story, if they, if they um, have not heard of this case or even just listening to what you have to say a- about your wife and what happened that day, but um, it, it's hard to ignore what um, the actions that DPS took that day and just really the actions and conversation that took place. So before we jump into what happened on, on April 21st, 2020, can you tell us just about Katie? Katie was an exceptional person. Um, She was intelligent. She had a fantastic mind. She was a middle school science teacher at Scott Middle School. Um, She was born and raised here in Denison, Texas, and came back to teach here. This is where she wanted to raise our our kids. Um, She was compassionate and caring, um, loved science and nature. Uh, I've, I've said this many, many times, but she was absolutely very um, family-centric. She loved her family. Um, 
best friends with her mom, talked to her dad every single day and um, adored our kids. Um, this community lost a lot when they lost Katie. I um, read some things you said about your wife in several different articles, and um, that's why I just wanted to hear hear you say it to us, because sometimes I feel like when we talk about these kinds of cases, we didn't get to meet Katie, but her story is going to live on. The justice for her, I do believe, will come. Um but I, but I think it's always important for to know who, you know who we're talking about and what the community lost, and and again you know I have to go back to this video that we're going to talk about. But I felt like when I'm watching this that there was never any sort of emphasis. By the way, I only heard Katie's name said twice in the 45 minutes that I watched it. I only heard her name twice. Once when you gave it to him, when he asked you for it, and then he repeated it back. But any time that he was either speaking to the assailant or to another officer or on the phone, he never used her name. Never used her name. And I would also like to put out there that Corey Foster never once asked how Katie was was doing. Never no, once asked. That's, that's what I noticed a lot. He didn't seem the least bit concerned um, you know, about what had even occurred. That's right. Which even made me think more about his impairment uh, and not being really aware of the severity yeah, of what had like just what happened. Just happened. Okay, so let's talk about what happened on April twenty first, twenty twenty. What happened after you and Katie left the house to go on your morning walk? What time did you leave? <clears throat> did you typically take a morning walk? What was kind of set for the day? So um, I had told Katie the night before that I was going to get up and work out in our backyard. And then I was going to go for, for a morning walk. Um, I, I woke her up. She normally did not go on walks in the morning. I, I would either go jog up and down, down the road or go walk down the road. There's, a, there's an old golf course uh, that's a couple houses down that has paved pathways that we, we would walk down. She would normally go walk in the afternoon. I would go walk and jog in the morning. So got her up. Um, and this is the first time that she ever went with me on a morning walk, uh, first, first, first time ever. And um, we had woke our son up and told him that we were going to go walk. We let our daughter sleep. She's usually a late riser. Our son was an early riser. So just wanted to make sure that he knew where we were going. Um, so we set out at about 730, and we live on um, Glenwood Drive, which is outside the city limits. Um, it's a asphalt paved road. Uh, no, no sidewalks, no curbs, just, just a two, two lane road, um, that dead ends about half a mile, um, west of our house. So we set out walking west and, um, we didn't go walk on the golf course. There was some dew on the ground. This was during COVID. So she was logging in to teach her students, um, you know, late morning. So she was going to come back down and lay down after I went to work. So she didn't want to get her legs wet um, because of grass. So we decided to keep on walking down the road. There was some undeveloped lots um, that they were going to build houses on. And she studied ornithology in college. And one of the birds that she studied was killdeer. And those are uh, birds that nest on the ground. 
So we looked over from the road to see if there's any kill deer to go look at. We didn't see any. She wanted to turn back around. So we're heading east on Glenwood Drive, walking back to our house. Um, and right when we were passing the golf course uh, and we were almost a couple houses away from where we lived, that's when our neighbor, Corey Foster, um, crossed over the roadway and hit us from behind. Um, we were walking alongside the road, crossed over the roadway, hit us, um, hit us so hard that he knocked us both out of our shoes. Um, threw Katie approximately 70 feet, uh, threw me about the same distance, and we both ended up in the golf course. Um, immediately, as soon, as soon as I landed, I was flying through the air, and as soon as I landed, I knew that we had gotten hit. And um, I tried to get up and couldn't. I felt like I had a ratchet around my my abdomen that was tightening. And that's when I looked over and I saw Katie, and she was propped up on her left side, um, leaning on her left elbow, and she was looking past me uh, in in my direction, but over me. Sure. And she let out this um, this moan, and. Um, that's when I started yelling for somebody to call the cops. Uh, that's when I heard Corey Foster say something to the effect of, oh, my God, I didn't know it was you, John. He identified me by name, um, said that he was trying to clear his windshield. He couldn't see. I kept on yelling at somebody to call the police. I crawled over to Katie, um, laid her on her back, and... About that time, another neighbor had pulled up and she had come and sat next to Katie's head and um, I was holding her hand. <clears throat> Notice that um, she wasn't breathing. Um, tried, tried to get her to breathe, was begging her to breathe. She let up this gasp for air and then um, started to uh, start to take really shallow breaths about every, you know, 10, 12, 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. um, that's when I noticed that she wasn't blinking. Her eyes were fixed and she was staring straight up in the air and had this short labored breathing. Um, then, then we heard the ambulance sirens, we heard, uh, you know, fire, fire trucks um, seemed like they made it out to scene pretty quick. Uh, they started to, when they arrived, they focused on Katie. And then I heard them talking about getting a helicopter out on site. They asked me if I was hit. I obviously told them that I was. I got loaded up into the back of the ambulance. Um, I was taken to take some of the medical center to the ICU in Denison. And um, the last time I saw Katie uh, that day, she was flown to Plano to a regional trauma center. I'm so sorry. I'm just listening to this story and I'm just, I'm just so sorry. 
This guy was your neighbor? He lived um, approximately three-tenths of a mile from where he hit us. And we were about two-tenths of a mile from where we, we were hit. So we, we lived about roughly a half a mile away from one one another. He, he lived on the um, west side of Glenwood Drive, and I lived on the east side. And he, he knew you guys, I guess, prior to all this? Um, I mean – very broad acquaintances. Okay. The only what the only reason why I knew him is that we we would go eat at a restaurant. Uh, me and a business partner of mine, and um, they had like a, a bar area where you could go in and get a burger and a coke. Understood. And they had you know um, sports games on, and uh, Corey Foster was always at the bar. Um, yeah, I'd say, <laughs> you know. Three out of five times, he was always at the bar. And there was another neighbor that was there that had introduced us and said, hey, you, know, you live on Glenwood. Corey's building a house on Glenwood. And uh, that's the, the extent that I, that I knew Corey. Um, every time that I saw him, he was belly up to the bar. Um, well, I can look at the video and um, say that, and I don't even know the guy. So um, let's talk about... Um, let's talk about after after the incident occurred um, sure. and what we see on video, what we hear a little bit. So you hear um, now there it, it's Officer Tarif, correct? Um, uh, Tarif Al Alcatraz, yes, yes, and he is a um, DPS officer, um, still is a DPS officer. That is correct, right? Uh Correct. It has been promoted twice uh, since uh, August, pardon me, since April 21st, 2020. So yes, he is now a corporal okay. in the um, Texas Department of Public Safety. Yes. So he is the, um, now, now I do want to say there was other video that came out after the grand jury um, came with their decision. 2021, there was additional video of body camera from the different officers that were on site, which, um, you know, my big question is, John, how was that video not found then in 2020? Why did it come up in 2021? Do you have an answer to that? Um, I don't know. No, you're you're talking about the body camera footage from uh, David Taylor and that, Jack, Jack Hill, right? That's correct. Those, those were the uh, DPS officers, correct? Correct. Yes. Those those were the other two DPS yes. officers on, on scene. Um, Tarif did not re release that. Uh, when he submitted um, his major crash uh, investigation packet and supplied the district attorney's office with body camera footage, yep. um, he only supplied his body camera footage and his dash dash cam. I had to go, and that was through a Freedom of Information Act request that I got those. Is that like standard? Uh, I guess that's standard procedure to only provide your personal body cam footage. I would believe that yeah. you would supply all the evidence that, that you had. Uh, that's I mean, there were what two I, other officers on. Correct. There, there, there were two other officers on, on scene with body cameras um, that right. had additional footage that should have been reviewed by, by the DA's office, should have been made available, but was not. Now, I, I don't know if that was a purposeful omission by Alcatine. But it just goes to show, um, you know, as far as the in investigation goes, uh, they weren't very forthcoming yes. at all. Right. 
Um, there's a few things he repeats over and over again, and I want to bring I want to bring those up in just a minute. Uh, let's I, I want to start when he approaches you in the ambulance. You're seeing lying there now. You you ended up having a broken back. Is that correct? I had um, fractured, pardon me, a fractured vertebrae in my back mm-hmm. and uh, numerous broke ribs, and um, uh, was told some bruising of internal organs as as well. Yes. How long were you in the hospital? Um, I was in the hospital for one day. They wanted to keep me longer, mm-hmm. said I should probably stay two or three more days. Mm-hmm. Um, couldn't, I, 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 there was nothing that they, they could do for me in there. They wanted to observe me longer, but, um, yeah. you know, that next day, my, my kids that day, um, April 21st went down, um, with other family to uh, <clears throat> Plano to to go say goodbye to my wife, and I wasn't there with them. I know. Understood. I'm so sorry. So, didn't get that chance. yeah, so I had to be, be there for them. Sure. Okay, so let's talk about, um, he asked you, you know, who are you? Or, you know, to ask your name. Um, is that your right. wife? What's her name? Uh, j- date of birth, just some basic information back and forth. Um, and then he goes and he talks to Corey Foster and he's asking him some questions. Um, he's, he's talking to other police officers. He, Corey Foster says that he had Put his windshield wipers on, I do believe. By the way, Corey Foster is not driving on the right on the correct side of the road when he when he hits you and Katie. He actually came correct. across, so he's he's on he's going east and he basically merges over to the left side of the lane. He's not in the right side where he should be. And that's when he hits you. So I don't want people to think he just came up from behind you. You were, you were doing what you were supposed to do. You could see, um, oncoming traffic and you, you knew where you were in your surroundings and you were hit from behind on the opposite side of the road. And I think that's that is very correct. important yes. for people to understand. So now we have a guy on the wrong side of the road. We'll start there. Okay, let, let's just do all the tick marks. Now we uh, that, there's number one. Number two, um, when the officer approaches him, he's telling him he can smell booze on him. So there's a few things I want to talk about around that. One is he asked him, when was the last time you had a drink? Corey Foster says, first he says six o'clock, and then I think he says eight o'clock. And then I think he chooses something in the middle and says seven. Okay, when did you have your last drink? Seven. And then he asks him, how many did you have yesterday? How many whiskeys? And he even says, I had three to five whiskeys at some point yesterday. So I was sitting here having a conversation with my husband about this, and he looks to be, to me in the camera, he looks to be at least about five feet from Corey Foster when he's speaking to him. He's not standing right up in front of his face. You can see their shadows, actually, in these videos. And they're not yes. standing directly in front of each other. So, one, you sm- now we're at number two. He's now on, not on the right side of the road. And now you smell alcohol on his breath or on his body or his person, wherever you're smelling it. It, it's where it's this is 745, eight o'clock in the morning, and you clearly smell booze. So now we've got two. Then he gets on the phone 
and he's talking to what I'm now. Do you know who he's speaking to when he when he calls a couple of times? Is it the sheriff he's talking to? No, he's speaking to his direct supervisor. I I know one is uh, Sergeant Jim Bob Walters. Okay, and I believe at one point he might have been talking to his lieutenant as 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 well. But he he contacted him numerous times. Yes. yes. Okay. So whoever when whoever he's speaking to on those conversations, his superiors, his lieutenant, he he's basically telling him he and, and this is what he this is to me um they t- they talk about this in court, right? When you're interviewing or even interrogating a people, they they start what we call like feeding the witness, right? Feeding information for people to kind of get it in their head already about what they what happened without actually knowing exactly what happened. And I want to start with the windshield wiper in the fog because he repeats this multiple times on the phone. In fact, this is the first thing he says about what caused the accident. Corey Foster says that he was driving um, and there was fog on the windshield and he was getting he had the window windshield wipers on. But then the sun glare came down and he just couldn't see. He just couldn't see, and 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 that's what happened. And then the officer proceeds to say, "I was driving the same direction," or "I know what he's talking about. It was it was in our eyes, you know. I, I dealt with the same thing, the fog." Now, after he gets off the phone, after saying this once, he then repeats it again to other officers that he's standing around with, speaking about. Um, he puts this in the report multiple times about what have caused the accident. I mean, did you catch on, catch on to this? I mean, I felt a- like... He absolutely. Was- and, um, you know, he, he made it out to be like it was a very foggy morning. Um, we've got witnesses that said that there were no visibility issues at all. There was a neighbor that um, lived right across the street from where we, we were hit. He heard the collision. Um, and looked out of his kitchen window and identified Corey Foster in his truck from probably a hundred feet away. Mm-hmm. I, I think that Alcatine gets fog on the windshield, which is condensation. That word fog, I think many times is misused. It was condensation on his windshield that he could not clear off. He, he didn't turn his defroster on. Um, and I did notice again where Alcatine made that um, de- declaration many times. And, oh, you know, it was real foggy when I when I set out to leave my my house, which was you know ten ten miles away. Yeah, had nothing to do with where we we were at. Um, his driving, he he did not drive on Glenwood uh, the at the same time that Foster drove on Glenwood. Um, again, uh, other witnesses. Um, the one neighbor that came up uh, right after Corey hit us uh, said there, there was no sun, sun glare. There was none. She didn't have to use a visor, didn't have sunglasses on, didn't have to shield the sun with her hands. So this was just an excuse by Corey Foster. Um, and then Alcatine goes on to state in his report that his cruiser did have, he, he did have fog on his windshield that morning, but it only took him a second to clear it. Yeah. 
So I thought that was a very odd state, statement also. He's basically contradicting him, himself from what he's telling his, his superiors and what he's putting in his re- report, which happens numerous times. Um, I definitely caught that. And I it, it, this repeating of things, to me, it, it just says so much. I, I, I kind of setting the story. He's setting the story. Yeah. He's setting nobody. Okay, so let's go on because there's there's multiple issues with, with, the, Definitely with this. Definitely creating a narrative. Right? Creating a yes. narrative before there's any. And again, not trying to ask how you're doing, how Katie's doing. I, I there's never a conversation except. And then when he is asked about certain things. Um, you know, Chris is in the medical field, right? We talk about bedside manner all the time. Some doctors have it. Some police officers, firefighters, they see a lot. They say things. But to me, this is kind of on another level. I, I, you know, I, there's, there's just no, um, there's more. It seems like there's more regard for this guy getting his stuff out of his truck, worrying about when he's getting his truck back, the cop reassuring him that everything's going to be okay, yeah. I, I, Do you know I, what I, I mean? Like this is just crazy. Thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You 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 just hit two people. Okay. Yes. One is put in the back of an ambulance and is driven to the ICU. The other is transported via um, uh, medical evac helicopter, and you're worried about when you're going to get your truck back. Oh I yeah. I mean that was that was one of the most noticeable. Like characteristics that he had, in my opinion. I mean, he's just total very, disregard. Yeah, just kind of very uh, disregard yeah. and emotionally flat. Yeah. And I and I believe that there were other substances in in his body um, to cause that. that well, let's caused, talk about it, yeah. let's talk about the leaning um, and the slurring of words. First of all, right when he asked him any question, it took him a while to think about. I mean, I watched it. I watched this video multiple times because I thought, you know, am I missing? I always catch something new when I look. He's clearly sure. he's clearly slurring. He is clearly slurring. He's talking extremely slow, in my opinion. And he's also having to think about it. Like, I feel like he's and leaning on the truck the entire time. Leaning yeah, on like the truck the entire time. Balance. And then you see him leaning at one point on the officer's truck. I mean, what universe are we in that someone drives on the wrong side of the road, hits two people from behind, one one is is in an ambulance, the other one is off into a helicopter to go to go get care. You smell booze on him. I mean, and then you end up giving him a ride home. Uh, with his two loaded hand handguns also. That, yeah. Oh, let's talk about yeah. that, John. Can we talk about that yeah. for a second? Absolutely. He, he lets this Absolutely. guy get his stuff out of his truck. Okay. He says, right. what do you want? Take what you need. Um, well, I think the fact that he, turns, he was driving. Turns his back. Turns his. to 15 yes. seconds. And Corey gets everything and just kind of glances at, at what he's got. And there was no inventory really of what he he took now well and plus when you when you carry really any, i don't think you oh, can yeah. be, you can be around be around any alcohol i mean i thought that was one of the sure. biggest things and, and just even even if it was 0.06 or whatever he supposedly blew that's still an impairment and just to give somebody back um that's impaired some fire loaded firearms because he did make a comment there's no point in having a gun unless it's loaded you know well, I thought, and I'd, I'd, I'd like to say say this also so he was a point zero six fifty minutes after. 
Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because we 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 were hit at seven forty five. Um, three Al Al casually showed up um, to this the scene at eight fifteen. He was he was the last person on scene. The uh, medical evac helicopter beat him on on scene, and um, you know he was then he was breathalyzed about twenty minutes after. Tarif got on scene, so it was 50 minutes. Yeah, that is true. Um, so, just looking at that 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 timeline and how your body metabolizes, mm-hmm. um, Corey, Corey Foster, in my opinion, was uh, probably at a point zero eight or higher. Yeah, um, that's a good point. And you don't know when he stopped drinking. Okay. Nope. So. Tarif makes mention numerous times, I can smell it coming pretty strong from, from your breath. So it's not that his body was, you know, uh, um, metabolizing the, scent, the, right. the alcohol and creating the scent. It wasn't right. coming from his sweat. It's coming from his breath. Yeah. Right. For all we, we know, um, you know, Corey could have tied one off the night before, could have drank a lot the night before, got up, and before he got into his truck and decided to drive blindly down the road, um, could have thrown back some more whiskey. Yeah. So when Tarif asked him to <clears throat> get those loaded weapons out of his vehicle, which every law enforcement officer I, I've spoke to said that is that is just the most insane thing ever. Um, we don't know if Corey Foster's blood alcohol level is going up or if it's going down. So yeah. at that time, you know, 30 minutes later, um, that 0.06 could have been a, a 0.07, could have been a 0.08. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Very, very careless for Tree Falcatine to let Foster go and re- retrieve handguns, uh, not knowing his mental state or if he was then at that point legally intoxicated. And the reason I believe he did that is because he was so familiar with Corey uh, that there was a level of trust, trust there. Yeah. Oh, well, no doubt about it. Um, we can get into all of the conflicts of interest here in a little bit. I mean, it's yes, just unbelievable, the conflicts of interest that um, <clears throat> that they even really had a grand jury in Denison or Grayson County decide this case. Um, so we'll get into that in a second. But let's talk about the point oh six you mentioned, because, again, um, sort of setting the narrative, I believe. Tarif also says on the phone, he blew a point oh six. It's still from last night, you know? And my question is, how do you know? Yeah. How do you know that? You don't know that. And again, it's setting the narrative, talking about the glare, talking about it was the drinking from the night before. And he repeats this three, four different times, you know, from last night, you know, point oh six. From last night. He had five <clears throat> shots yesterday. Does, okay. does Al-Khatib live out here, I guess, by this gentleman and, and you as well? Uh, he lives in Pottsboro, but I, I want to say he lives uh, within about five, ten, ten miles. So, like, if, I guess if, this, if this, not closer. this guy's relationship with these people, I guess, um, is it just through the – how is he, like, known, well-known in the community or something like that? Or um, Well, so – We've actually published some some pictures. I don't know if you guys have seen, seen yes. those. Well, we saw, I guess, okay. one that was posted on Facebook. But yeah. Um, so both both the wives used to cut hair together. Um, I think at multiple places. Okay. Um, and they've been seen at parties together. 
those pictures that we posted uh, from from the Halloween book before, where basically um, Corey Foster and Tariq Alkatib's wife are just about arm in arm. The uh, wives got together before the party, got their makeup painted. Um, they all all four hung hung out that that night, and then again in um, Christmas there was a Christmas party that we got photographs of, and the wives are arm in arm again. So they had a very close and familiar family relationship. Yes. Yes, they did clearly. Okay, so um, when the police officer, when Tarif is um, talking about the accident, he he's referring to how the car hit Katie, how um, how far you know where Katie um, and her, where where she ended up, where you ended up, um, you know, how it's looking. She, he makes references to, you know, she got she got knocked pretty good. I mean, just really kind of disgusting the way he's saying most of this, in my opinion. She, she whacked her head real good. Um, whacked her head real good, which I have right here yeah. in my notes because I literally was typing everything that came out of his mouth that was just like – I can't even believe that someone is referring to to someone like this. Um, and then let's talk about the let's talk about the guns, because what okay. I told Chris was, well, first of all, not just allowing him to take the guns was crazy. But how does he even know at this point a gun was not involved? Can we just kind of say that? What if what if Corey Foster would have had to use that gun at some point? What if it was used that morning for something? What if we see this a lot? What if something would have happened with Corey Foster and an altercation happened with the both of you and he and he used that gun to threaten? What if but at this time they don't know that. So I just I'm 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 shocked that they that they even allowed him to do I mean it's it's just so incredibly hard to believe. And they didn't call the serial num- numbers in on, on the handguns either. They recorded them and they let him leave with them. Yep. But um, was always told that uh, police would usually call those serial num- numbers in just to check. Uh, but, you know, procedure was, was not followed at all. Um, no. And that's not shocking that, uh, you know, that's just, you know, one additional thing that al did wrong that, that day which led to Corey Foster walking free. Well, sorry, uh, being driven home and not to the hospital for a blood test. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So they, um, so people are probably thinking, did, did he take a blood test? No, he did not. He was not required to take a blood test. Um, I guess because it's as long as I, I, I'm in assuming the law for, I don't know if it was just, you know, when when do they require them to take a blood test? Is it because he blew a point oh six that there was no blood taken? First of all, I can't even believe we're actually having to talk about this, considering the circumstances right. around the whole incident that day. Of course, a blood test would have been first on mine. But here's the other thing. Tarif never says to him, do you have any idea what you just did? Do you have no. any idea what has just happened? Do you have any idea that you've just hit two people? He never, ever, ever says that to him. But he makes sure to tell him to tell his mother that everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Yeah. yeah. And going going back on the blood test, 
I've talked to many state troopers, Mm -hmm. uh, current state troopers in Texas and other law enforcement officers, and they're absolutely perplexed that he did not get a blood test. They, They said absolutely should have happened, should have happened, but didn't. I've been told that DPS trains their, their officers to where if alcohol is in, involved and there is a serious injury or a death or impending death, you shall get blood. Yeah, because it's not just um, a matter of alcohol at that point. It could be some, some other substance. Correct. You know. And um, Tarif is not trained to do a field sobriety test for um, nar- narcotics or anything like, like, like that. He's, he's, uh, he's trained to do field sobriety tests for alcohol impairment. Interesting. Well, um, I'm going to guess that the reason the blood wasn't taken, um, not just because he, I mean, if we're going to call him inexperienced and taking blood tests, we're going to have to call him inexperienced um, at quite a few things because um, he said, he says things like, um, so do, what do you want me? What do you want me to say to him before we, you know, before we take his truck? Uh, you know, before we let this guy go. I mean, it was almost like there was no question about arresting him. None. 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 They None. never once said, should we bring him in? Should we ask him more questions? We do smell booze on him. Maybe maybe we should be taking some more action rather than just settling for this .06 that he just blew. I mean, it was almost like they just knew he was that he was letting him go. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly it. And um, I would really like to know what was going on um, on the other side of the phone conversations that Algatine is having with, with his uh, superiors as, as well, because if you listen to him, Algatine never asks if he should take Corey in to get a blood test. Nope. Never asks. So was he being instructed that he's not going to do that? Um, I don't know. I, I would sure like DPS to investigate that. So let's talk. No, I mean, no doubt about it. I, 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 but I mean, that's the thing. It's like, why would a superior? Okay. And maybe I don't know those superiors as far as like the relationships with Corey Foster. I mean, you might, you might know a little bit more about that, but to me, if you're if you're a superior who has no connection to Corey Foster and and just Tarif is you know um, is a fellow police officer, why would you not want the blood test? I mean, your training. I mean, if Tarif doesn't know the right thing to do, surely the superior does. But it was well, almost and- like there was no discussion about what do we do with this guy. There was no no discussion and. I would like to know why the superiors weren't on, on scene. Yeah. Um, why wasn't there a supervisor there? Um, it would have been a, a 10, 15 minute drive. Um, because apparently Al did not have control over his investigation or the scene at all. And that's, that's, that's very apparent just by looking at the evidence that uh, he, he didn't get. Um, for instance, he did not mark the scene at all. There was no marking of the scene where this is where the truck stopped. This is where the bodies landed. Right. This is where the shoes were. Nothing. In fact, uh, the pictures that they took were 
so so inadequate that the district attorney's office asked us for pictures that Katie's aunt took on scene a day later. It's just incredible. I mean, I just don't. I mean, I can't possibly think this happens in Denison every day. You know, like if the inexperience is there, we do now we do see this in cases where things happen in smaller areas and there aren't, you know, and and there's a little inadequacy of how to handle certain situations. But I mean, this is 2020. This isn't 1982. And, and, And you have these things that are being said. You have this carelessness of. You know, assuming the glare caused him and windshield wipers caused him to go on the opposite side of the road. I mean, let's even just stop and think about that for a second. I mean, I don't know. It just take take alcohol out of of this. And you've got a guy that drove three tenths of a mile blind while on his phone because You've you've seen that we obviously pulled the cell phone records. And yes, you did. Show mm-hmm. that show that Corey was in the process of dialing a number as he crossed over the roadway. So there's there's this distracted driving. Yep. There's um, driving blind, and then there's crossing over the road roadway. That right there is reckless driving. Yeah. That right there is recklessness, and if that isn't recklessness, I don't know what is. That should be the definition of recklessness and um um that's what i was uh, trying to say why couldn't we get in a, a reckless driving arrest some like nothing. something to to find out exactly more about what happened so so the end of this video y- you see um the officer is t- telling him he needs to get his stuff out of the truck that he he can call his mom he's just sounds it's just disgusting how accommodating he is to this guy um never really bringing up the severity of what he actually um just did um and and he's like oh man you know i'll give you a ride home it's all right yeah let me you know i mean just again disgusting we're gonna post this video for the public to watch um so john let's talk about what happened when this went to a grand jury? Can you kind of give us an idea of, sure. of what that day was like? What had, you know, what was, what was your investigation and in your, in your family's, um, you know, who was on your side? What was in place? Were you having, um, were there DA issues before that? Kind of tell us, set that scene for us. It's going to be a long setting because I've got a lot to say about that. So, okay, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> So I, I'd, I'd say a couple weeks after this, this happened, we hadn't heard anything at all. Um, I reached out to our district attorney, Brett Smith. Um, Brett Smith told me that um, he was aware of the case, but hadn't received a report back from DPS. So he said, you know, you, you probably know more than me. I, I haven't seen anything, um, you know, Give, give us a couple more weeks and hopefully we, we get the report and then we, we, we can review it and then we'll, you know, see which direction that, that, that we're going to go. So, all right, it's fine. Well, two months passed since Katie had gotten killed and um, approximately two months and um, Katie's mom uh, reached out to Brent Smith, got his cell phone off of Facebook. He had his phone number on Facebook and that's, 
public information, as far as I'm, I'm, I'm concerned, she called him, um, asked about the case. He was very angry that she called him on his cell phone. Uh, I believe the words were, you never call an elected official on their cell phone. Um, I think he had some time off. He had hip surgery. He's very angry that somebody would, would reach out to him um, <clears throat> and basically told her, you know, do not call me back. I don't even know about this case. And I have no clue what you're talking about, which contradicts what he told me. So um, she was very angry, as any parent would be. If you're trying to get justice for your child and you want to know what's going on and you've just been told by the one person that's supposed to be on our side, right, that's supposed to um, bring justice, um, basically tells you, don't call me back, have no clue what you're talking about, bye. So we don't have a voice, we don't have a platform, but we do have social media. And Rhonda posted this on social media, her, her interaction with, with Brad. And then that created a firestorm. Everybody was appalled. Um, I finally get a call back from Brett Smith, and it's not to talk about our case. It's to talk about how we're portraying him on social media. Um, I just lost, lost my life. Um, I was about a foot away from um, being killed as well. And uh, he wants to talk about how he's being portrayed on social media. Yeah, never, and I'm sorry for your loss. Nope. Not to nope. her mother, um, not to you. No, no, absolutely not. And we had another phone call like this again, where he asked me to put a stop to how people are treating him on social media. So first first phone calls from Brett Smith, uh, two out of the first three were um, basically, um, you know, him wanting us to make sure that his image was, was not tarnished, um, which is absolutely appalling. So then we finally have a meeting with Brett Smith. Um, it was Brett Smith, two of the prosecutors, Katie's mother, father, one of her brothers, and um, me. And um, I started off that meeting. I brought pictures of Katie. Uh, if Katie's not there, we're going to talk about Katie. I want them to know who Katie was. The other two prosecutors looked at the phone photographs and, um, you know, seemed to be trying to take in as much as possible. Uh, Brett refused to look at the phone photographs, uh, wouldn't touch them, said he's seen everything he needs to see, um, said that he's seen all those before on face, Facebook. Okay. okay. And then it, when it was his turn to talk, he turned back to Rhonda and was, again, very angry about social media. Okay. Not anything else was, he was only concerned about how he was being portrayed to the public. Um, we ended that, that meeting. And before we ended it, uh, Brett looked at Rhonda and asked her to call off her jihad. Looked at victim's mother and asked her to call off her jihad. Hmm. Um, he thought it was funny. He started to laugh at it. The other two prosecutors in our family um, were just amazed that this is how this man acts. This is how this man treats victims. This is how this man treats victims' families. Um, 
So we left left that meeting unsure of how everything was going to turn out. It was not a very good meeting. Um, Terry Ashmore, the first assistant district attorney, took this this case, and um, I had a couple meetings with with Kerry, and then we had the grand jury on August nineteenth, twenty twenty. Um, Tariq Al-Khatib testified. There was a third party consultant that testified because Texas Department of Public Safety did not recreate this crash. Even though that is one of their main jobs, there's actually, I believe, a unit in Sherman, Texas, which is a town just south of us. They did not recreate this, this crash. And that's kind of their, their sole purpose in these Right. Incidents is to gather evidence, is to re- recreate crashes, and they failed to doing that. So Gracie County hired a third party. Uh, that that gentleman testified, and then I got to testify in front of, in front of the grand jury as well. And it was about three hours. Um, it was a lot of waiting, a lot of un- uncertainty. Um my, myself thinking, I, I don't know how anybody couldn't look at all this in, information and immediately go, yes, there is enough here to move forward because a grand jury does not um, rule on innocence or guilt. That's right. They rule on uh, the information provided if there's enough to move forward uh, with a trial. Right. So I'm sitting outside the courtroom uh, next to Katie's brother. And Terry comes out and says they declined to go forward with it. And that was um, the the hole that was in me. Um, it was a helplessness. It was confusion. Um, that's what injustice feels, feels like. I mean, hit me right in the chest. <clears throat> so... Let's talk about that, that grand jury. A grand jury in Texas consists of 12. That day, one juror uh, did not show up. They were sick. Okay. That dropped us down to 11. Another grand juror recused him himself, said that he either knew um, he either knew Corey or he knew me. Um, so that drops us down to 10. When I asked Carrie Ashmore, um, where were the other grand jurors? You know, where, where are the alternates? Um, he shrugged his shoulders and said he, he didn't know. Little side note, his wife is the district clerk who controls the jury pool. So I thought that was odd that, um, you know, we had no clue where the alternates for the grand jury were. In the grand jury in Texas, you have to have nine votes to receive an indictment. And we had... 10 grand jurors there. Now, the DA's office promised me that they would get Corey's cell phone records. Okay? They did not. Those were not presented to the grand jury. In addition, um, those those other body cameras were not available. And also, the third party uh, who recreated the crash because DPS did not, uh, their final report wasn't dated until August 25th, pardon me, August 26th, six days later. 
So Kerry Ashmore went into the grand jury without all of the evidence, did not have the final report from the third party, which was very damning against Corey Foster. You, I yeah. don't know if you've had time to review it, but it was very damning. Um, grand jury did not have that final report in their hands. They didn't have the other footage, nor did they have the cell phone records. Um, and that grand jury took place on a Tuesday. Uh, the Sunday after, okay, Carrie Ashmore and um, Nathan Young, who's another prosecutor in the district attorney's office, decided to have a pool party. Okay. And um, at this pool party, which again, um, his wife is the district clerk, Kelly Ashmore. She controls the green jury pool. Um, at this party was one of the impaneled grand jurors who I, I believe if you serve on a grand jury, you serve from anywhere from three, six to nine, nine months. Um, this person that was a grand juror would go on to serve on other grand juries. And everybody here has found it highly unethical for prosecutors to have any outside contact with these grand jurors that they're going to pre present cases to. Um, that does not create the um, idea of an impartial jury at all. No, it does not. Um, that's, that's been brought up to our district attorney, and he's remained silent on that. Uh, there's been many attorneys that have said that is highly unethical uh, that Carrie Ashmore and Nathan Young did that by inviting in a panel grand jury, again, somebody who was serving on the grand jury and continued to serve on a grand jury to have a pool party with burgers and beer. Um, you know, that, will, that would definitely erode the pub, public's trust in the justice system here in Grayson County. Um, so 18 months passes, and through our civil discovery process, because we are in a civil lawsuit with Corey Foster, uh, we got his cell phone records. And the second we got him and we looked at him, we realized that he was on the phone at the time of the crash. Um, if you look at the cell phone records, he dials a 903 phone number. That's, that's our area code. Mm -hmm. Dials a 903 number approximately uh, 31 seconds before he dials 911. If you go back to um, the body camera footage from Tarif Alcatine, Tarif asks him what, what he does, what he did after he realized that he hit us. And he said, I, I stopped, I got out, and I called 911. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, the only plausible timeline. Um, would be that as he was dialing this number, he was calling a friend's mom. He was picking up some guys to help him do some work that day. As he was dialing that number, he was distracted. And again, he, he, he already couldn't see out of his windshield. Right. He was already um, cognitively impaired because of the alcohol and um, possible other substances that he had in his body. There's no blood test, so so we don't don't know. And then now he's manually distracted. He dials that number, 
veers over, hits us, still has his phone in, in his hand. Um, as he dialed that number, the number connected, it, um, it dialed for 24 seconds, and then it went to voicemail for five seconds. And that was enough time for him to come to a rolling stop, get out with his phone in his hand, um, say the statements that he said to me, mm-hmm. John, I didn't know it was you. I couldn't see. And me yelling, somebody call the cops, somebody call the cops. Corey looks down. His phone is in his hand. He ends the call, dials 911, then places the call two, two seconds later. Um, we presented all that information to the district attorney's office and, um, we finally get a call back. I, I got a call back at four 30 one day from Kerry Ashmore. And, um, he said, Hey, we're going to go ahead and just to kind of set, set this, uh, set the, uh, relationship, uh, for the past 18 months prior to us getting those cell phone records, we were hypercritical of Brett Smith, Tariq Falcatine, and Carrie Ashmore, and right, rightfully so, because they failed us. So right. we used our, our voice on so, social media to be to be very critical of all, all three men, and deservedly so. Um, he calls me at 4.30, says they're going to go to a new grand jury tomorrow. Again, a, a grand jury that's not familiar with this case at all and present them with the cell phone records. And I asked him, I said, well, do I need to be there? Because again, first grand jury, I got to testify. He said, no. He said, we're, we're going to get the cell phone records. And if they have any questions, we're going to, we're going to um, provide them with information. And it was kind of shocking. And I said, Oh, all right. And then he got off the phone call and then I got to thinking, I was like, this, this doesn't sound right. Uh, why, why is he calling me at four 30 the day before? The grand jury is usually commences at about 8.30 in the morning. I tried to call him back two or three times because that didn't, it didn't make sense. Um, and um, he wouldn't take my call. I've got his cell phone, so I sent him a text message. Um, he was at some, some election party and said he couldn't, uh, couldn't take a call, but, you know, he could text. And I asked him what's going to be shown to this new grand jury that knows nothing about this case. Are you guys just going to give them the cell phone records and just in a bridge version of what happened? Um, I, I would like to testify. I, I would like to give my testimony to this new grand jury. Um, and he responded back to me and um, said that he was going to do it the way that he said he was going to do it. He was going to present the, the cell phone records give him a little background on our case. And if they have any questions that he would answer them. I asked him if he was going to show the report from the third party that was never shown to the first grand jury, if all the body camera footage was, was going to be shown. And again, I asked for the ability to testify. Um, and I asked him if he was going to ask for a conviction because we all know that if a prosecutor wants a case indicted, the prosecutor will get a case indicted. That's right. Uh, that's that's just common knowledge. Uh, that's that's a that's not a secret at all. He didn't respond to me. So six in the morning, I called Brett Smith, left a message, said, uh, 
Rhonda Nail, who's Katie's mom, and I will both be up there. And I want to talk to you before you present anything to a grand jury. Um, we got there at 7.45, asked to see Brett, asked to see Carrie. Um, we're told that they would let both men know that we were here. And um, they didn't bother to come speak to us. Carrie comes out about nine or so and says, well, it's in the grand, grand jury's hands. And we were like, why, why won't you talk to us? You know, what, what was, we, we started to, to question Carrie. Carrie got angry and upset and told Rhonda he didn't have to explain a damn thing to her. And he was damn good at his, his job. And he walked, walked away. Um, comes back later, says the grand, grand jury, uh, this second grand jury, who again was shown half the case, just like the first grand jury. We, we, we've never gotten a, a true grand jury. We've gotten one grand jury with half, half the evidence. And then 18 months later, we get a new grand jury that's shown another part. It's never been full. Yeah. Carrie came out and said the grand jury um, just is, is not going to move forward with this. And um, I, I've completely lost it on, on Carrie and um, uh, was very emotional with him. Um, probably said some things that I shouldn't repeat on, on this podcast, but um, I meant every single one. This is the second time that that office has done this to our family. Um, and it's heartbreaking to uh, look at my mother-in-law who lost a daughter. Um, what do you, what do you tell her? Nothing. Uh, my, my kids who used to see Corey, Corey Foster's truck drive up and down our street four or five times a day. Um, and they asked me, is that, is that Corey Foster? Yeah. Why is he still driving? What do I say? There's nothing I can, can, can say nothing. And, um, this is just fueled our, our fight. This, our district attorney's office, DPS and other local leaders have had an opportunity to step up and, and speak out against this injustice. We've got this whole community behind us, um, but just a handful of men uh, continue to make turn those a blind decisions. Eye. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you would think that um, you would think that their number one concern is getting justice for Katie, right? That's why they. Um, decided to do the careers they decided to do and, um, you know, bring things to court and, and have justice for things that, that justice should be served on. But how do you have a grand jury, not once, but twice? And what is the harm in letting you testify? What is the harm? I mean, what, what is, you were there. You were there. I mean, it, it just seems so, and why not give the report, the third party completed report of, of the, you know, and why did DPS not reenact this, 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 the scene like it should have been? What, what was going on that they made these terrible decisions? I mean, that's it's really- just a, it's a, it's a complete systematic failure here in Grayson County. And I honestly believe that 
uh, DA's office saw what a horrible job Tariq did and, um, you know, didn't, didn't want that more exposed than it was at the time. You know, Brett Smith told us, he, he sat here, pardon me, sat there in the Justice Center uh, in that meeting, the, the one face-to-face meeting that our family had with him and told us missteps were made. Talking about Tree Falcatine, told us missteps were made. Um, he should have gotten blood. I don't know why he didn't get blood. Um, and that he had a subpar report. Okay. So our district attorney is telling us that the lead investigator um, failed and did a bad job. And actually that report, his report from what Brett said, got kicked back a couple times. It was so, so bad. Um, as, as an elected official and as the state attorney for, for this county, um, he should have stepped up and should have been very vocal that uh, this investigation was mishandled. And this goes back to what our push is, and that's a push for justice and a push for accountability. Um, if we have elected officials that won't hold um, an officer like Trey Falcate, which again, 99.99% of police officers, fantastic. But it's the 0.01 that's the Tariq Alcatee Al- Al- types yep. that um, that are just so glaringly bad that it 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 puts a puts a bad light on all the officers that do their their job. And if I mean, let's be lo- let's be honest here. We know why he didn't take blood. This was yeah. his buddy. Yeah. Let's not. I yeah. mean, let's just say what this is. Because this oh, it's a, you, it's a, this is it's a, a yeah. this is a good old boys club that we're seeing Absolutely. here, and and, mm-hmm. and this is the kind of thing that you're right. Accountability, the ninety nine point nine percent, you know, are, do you know are there to serve citizens, right? That came that became police officers to 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 do good, to do the right thing. But then you have those that their relationships and their circle is more important than someone being killed and they didn't know. Distancing yourself. It's almost like he distanced himself, I felt like, on that video from what actually was happening. And he was more worried about how to help Corey Foster. And I don't know how any official can watch that video and not think that this is a big problem, that Tarif should have been held accountable for not only his lack of professionalism and his lack of following protocol, but the fact that he was more accommodating to someone who had just run over two people. And, and if you, sorry, no, no, I'm just, it, it, it's just infuriating and it's, it's shameful and it's sad that your family was, has been treated this way. By by these by these court appointed officials that have an obligation to do the right thing, I mean, right. why why are you bringing why are you bringing evidence to a half assed grand jury? There's only ten. You should immediately dismiss and wait until there's twelve. Like, I'm just not. It's almost like they had already made their decision. 
Like that's I what I keep coming back. I think you're 100% correct. I think you're 100% correct. I think that day uh, wouldn't, wouldn't, it, it, it wouldn't have mattered if we went in front of Tinker injuries. Um, those, those men decided that Corey Foster was innocent before there was even an investigation, which we all know that there was not an invest, investigation. Uh, this, this was going to play out exactly how they wanted it to play out. So far it has to murky the waters even more. Um, Tariq Alkatib is related to Brett Smith via marriage. Um, so that's, you know, that's probably why, uh, Brett Smith will not publicly state that Al- Al-Khatib, uh, failed. Um, in addition, Brett Smith represented Corey Foster's wife before becoming DA in a DWI where Corey Foster was the passenger. Yeah. We read that, um, we read that article. We read that report. Yeah. Um, yeah. yes. So and again, that, the conflicts of interest, yeah. <laughs> right? never disclosed to us at all. Brett should have firewalled himself from this case instead of, uh, inserting himself right in the middle of it. You know, um, that, that was never told to us. Um, this should have maybe gone to a different County. Uh, no doubt have, about you know, it. Brett, Brett, Brett should have not gotten in, in, involved at all, but he made it a point too. So, so let's talk about what is, um, what's going on. Now? What's happening. You know, what's happening now. You mentioned there is a civil suit. Um, there is how, you know, what does that mean? For further criminal charges, I did want to to ask you that if um, and, and what what can we do? What have you reached out to Governor Abbott? Have you gone to higher up in Texas? You know what what can be done in order to hold him accountable? It's like the attorney. General. So what we've done right now, uh, we've met with DPS. I actually went down there in person. Um, met with DPS officials. And um, again, we have been pleading for them to hold Tariq Al-Khatib accountable for what he did. Um, We're waiting to hear back from DPS. I I should hear something back within the next week or two. Um, Again, with what he didn't do on scene, um, which was perform a proper investigation. what he did do on scene, which you can see the lack of professionalism uh, that 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 occurred, the shutting off of the body camera when he gave Corey Foster a ride home. Um, we want him to be held accountable. We are hoping that DPS does the right thing. We're hoping that DPS holds Trey Falgatine accountable for what he did. Um, that's what we're waiting on right now. Okay. I I would ask that. Um, everybody join our um, Justice for Katie Palmer uh, group page. Facebook on, group? Uh, face, Facebook, yes. Okay, I will share that and, in our groups as well so they can join through there. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And we, we will have other calls to action as soon as okay. uh, we find out you know, what DPS is going to release and if they're going to hold three Valkyrie accountable. And recently... Um, I sent an email to Brett Smith and asked him to put everything that he told our family on his letterhead um, about Sharif making missteps, um, that he should have gotten blood. He didn't know why he didn't get blood and that he 
performed um, a subpar investigation. Uh, believe it's very important for our elected officials to um, you know hold others accountable. That's what we're asking for. Haven't heard anything from Brett yet, but if we don't, uh, there will definitely be a call to action on that as well. Um, there has to be some accountability here. I mean, I Absolutely. as an average citizen, I'm watching that video in 10, 15 minutes in, I start getting that that funny feeling, that funny feeling of something's not right. There is it, 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 you don't and they have to see something wrong with it. I don't see especially DPS. I just don't see how they can't do something. I, I mean, I it's 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 it would be mind blowing if they said there was just nothing there. Mind blowing. I spoke to uh, in internal affairs and investigating with DPS face face to face when when we were in Austin a couple weeks weeks ago, and um, just asked him that you you watch that video and you look at what he did, and now imagine that is your wife or your daughter. How are you you going to react? Are you going to look at me and say? Everything that Sharif Al-Khatib did that day was in strict um, accordance with DPS procedure. No, you can't. You absolutely can't. And because you can't is why this man needs to be held accountable. Al-Khatib does not need to be an officer. Does right. not. Which, which the way he conducted himself on scene and what he didn't do, which was his job, uh, did not perform an invest investigation at all. Um he, he doesn't deserve to wear that badge. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, you know, being, being a state trooper is an honor. I mean, those are some, some, some of the best of the best. That's right. Like, and they had an image of professionalism and service and um, duty. Well, I'm going to I'm going to just take a long shot and say he somehow got that job by somebody he knows, because I cannot imagine that his character and his um, his ability and professionalism actually got him there. I, I don't know who he knows or what. It, it, I mean, I can't even believe that guy was wearing a police officer uniform in, in all well, honesty. We are going to do our best to keep fighting for justice and uh, definitely fighting for accountability yes. uh, with regards to the district attorney's office yes. and um, with regards to Tariq Alcatine as well. So um, we'll be following everything. And John, um, we're, we're now in touch and um, you and your family are, are now a part of our family. So we are here to offer any help. Any, anything, anything um, we can do um, um, to just move this along for Katie. Um, we're going to let, again, friends, I'm going to post everything publicly so then other people can, can see what we're talking about. Um, but I want to talk about Katie's Law. So this is something um, I read about that you guys are, are, are working on. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So um, it's... Uh House Bill 558, and it's Colton's Law. Um, okay. Named after Colton Carney. So we had um, Michelle Carney, Colton's mom, reached out to us, and um, she was lobbying for a bill to be passed um, 
in Texas to where the spirit of the law was that any motorist that hits a pedestrian and causes either serious bodily injury or death shall get a blood test. Her son was walking along, his, his car broke down and he was walking um, alongside a highway going to work and um, a truck hit him and um, killed him. And they asked the uh, police department if they got a blood test. And the officer's response was, it was 7.15 in the morning. No one's drunk at 7.15 in the morning. Oh that God. was their response. Um, so Michelle Carney and her family are just amazing people. She is so strong, so strong. Um, we heard about this law or we heard about this bill and immediately, uh, rallied around her and, um, helped her, uh, lobby for this bill, which got passed in one session, which is almost unbelievable. We made multiple trips to Austin. Mm -hmm. I've probably talked to every single um, state rep representative staff. I mean, we would spend a whole day up there just knocking on doors, asking them to please vote, vote for this bill. And, um, and it worked. That's so great. And uh, That's we, we now know that, um, you know, should something like this happen again, um, families will will we'll have answers and not just, just questions like what we've had for two years and what the Carnies have had for, oh my gosh, you know, three, four, five, five years. Um, so if we can make positive change, yeah, that's, um, right. that's, that's what we'll do because we do not want another family to go through what we've gone, gone through. Well, you're headed in the right direction. You're talking about it. We're keeping, everyone hearing it, right? It's our obligation to keep talking. That's what I always say. They can't avoid you and ignore you if we keep talking, right? They can only yes, hope you shut up and leave them alone, but that's not what you're going to do. That's not what we're going to do. And and I just hope, you know, that um, that everyone is held accountable for what happened that day. There were from Corey Foster to, to Reef, they all should just be held accountable for what happened to you, what happened to Katie, not just because it's the right thing, but legally it's the right thing. The law, it's the right thing. And, and I guarantee you, if blood would have been taken, we would be having a different conversation. I'm willing to bet that. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma all right, John. Well, thank you again for being here today. Is there anything else you want to, you want to share or anything else that you want our, our listeners to know or to be aware of in this case? Uh, no, but I, again, I, I do want to tell you, thank you. Um, you know, we don't have a voice, but when, um, people have a platform like, like you, um, reach out, and help us fight and help us shed light on what we've been going through. Um, just like you said, it can't be ignored. So thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. You're so welcome. And um, we're here 
Um, if you if you need anything, um, please keep us posted on any updates about Katie. We are going to keep um, her her story um, going. Um, friends, please listen and and watch the watch this video. Read the documentation. Um, get behind this family. Get on their Facebook page. Follow follow their crusade for Katie's for Katie's justice because. Um, um, like like you said, they, you, you can't be ignored if you just keep talking. So, um, John, my thoughts and prayers are with you and your family as um, as you go through life. You know, Chris and I lost a son. Totally different type of scenario, but it's it's grieving and, and grieving and and, um, and that type of thing when a family goes through it. It's um, you just sort of adjust to life. It, it's always going to be different, and and I know that you miss your wife. And I'm sure your kids miss their mom. And as a woman, I'm just so sorry. I'm just so sorry. And I'm sorry your family was treated so poorly. And I hope that that people learn from this because this is real life. This is your life. And I told Chris I was going to try not to cry, but I couldn't even get through that video without wanting to get sick to my stomach because I couldn't imagine if they were speaking about me that way or somebody that I loved. So John, I'm just so sorry. I'm just so sorry that you've had to go through this and we won't stop. We won't stop. So you just know that I'm here and I, and I believe in what you're doing and, and we'll do whatever we can to help you. I am so, so thankful. And again, I'm sorry for your loss. Um, I'm, the loss of a child, there is, you are exactly right. Um, there's no coming back from, from that. Uh, you just have to adjust to, to life. Um, so I'm sorry for your loss, but, um, thank you again for everything that, that you're doing for us. Um, you guys are exceptional. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you, friends. Bye.